We can tell people how big our God is because he is a great God and he's on the throne and he has everything under control. It's amazing how I didn't know what Ginny was going to sing on and it goes along with our message because last week we started our series on Mordecai and the book of Esther and the characters of Mordecai, Esther, King Ahasuerus, and Haman. And we're going to see today as we continue in part two how God is working on behalf of his people behind the scenes to work out his plan and his purpose in his way. We said last week that the synopsis of this book is God's hand of providence and protection on behalf of his people is evident through the book of Esther. Though his name does not appear once, Haman's plot to brings grave danger to the Jews and is countered by the courage of beautiful Esther and her wise cousin Mordecai, resulting in a great deliverance. 
The Feast of Purim becomes an annual reminder of God's faithfulness on behalf of his people. And we spoke last week about how the Jews had been taken into captivity and they were in Babylon for 70 long years, away from the temple, away from their, their uh, services, their festivals, everything. But they had the Lord in their hearts, just like we have the Lord in our hearts. And he's with us. And we have his word. Well, they didn't have so much the written word in those days, but they passed these messages along mouth to mouth, father to son, mother to daughter, down through the centuries. And now we're blessed and privileged to have the entire word of God from Genesis all the way to Revelation. What a blessing we have as believers living on this side of the cross, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and he rose again. And he offers the plan of salvation to each and every person who believes in him and receives him as Lord and Savior. And when we're saved, we're on a journey to heaven. And we're going to face opposition. We're going to face enemies. We're going to face hard times, just like Mordecai did, just like Esther did. And the things that they went through today, we can learn from their lives on how to face these things and trust in the Lord to bring about his deliverances and his miracles. And we talked last week about Mordecai, and he was from the tribe of Benjamin. And he was the cousin of Esther. And he had taken Esther in and treated her like his own daughter and raised her because her parents had been killed. They, were, they died. And all this time they were together. They were together before and they were together in the captivity. They encouraged one another. And all through this book, we see the same thing. And we saw how much he had love for her and how much she had love for him. And we saw Mordecai's loyalty to the Lord first to the Lord's people, to the king, and to all around him. He was a loyal man of God. And we saw how the Lord brought him through these things and how he exposed a plot to kill the king. And it, he was, it was written in a book, and we're going to see today the results of how that is going to happen. So we're going to continue on with part two today, and we're going to finish up next week part three. So it's a three, going to be a three-part message uh, on the book of Esther. So we look now at the third point. We've, we've had, first of all, his lineage. Secondly, his love. Third, his loyalty. And now his labor. He faced trouble head-on. Mordecai did. But we see in the third chapter of Esther, Haman introduced. Wicked, evil, Haman. I mean, it's like the old movies. You had the, the heroine or the hero on one side and you had the evil person on the other. Well, if this was a movie, this would be a great movie, right? And you'd see Haman, he'd come and he'd look evil. And that's the way he was. But in the beginning, it wasn't so much that way. He was promoted above all his other fellows at that time. Haman was successful. He was promoted by the king and given the top position in the kingdom after the king. And we know that from the scriptures, he was the son of Hamadatha, the Agite. And these people were Amalekites. And the Amalekites were the mortal enemies of the Israelites. Remember, they attacked Israel when they came out of Egypt and they were on the way to the promised land. They attacked them. And Amalek is a type of the flesh. And the flesh drags us down and the flesh attacks us at moments in our lives. 
And we see how David and Saul also fought against the Amalekites. They were enemies. So it's not hard to see why Mordecai is going to refuse to bow down to Haman because he's a man, first of all, and he's not God. And secondly, he's an Amalekite. He's an enemy. And that's what Haman was. In Exodus 17, 14, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Sadly, though, the Israelites didn't wipe them out. They were told by God to wipe them out. They didn't fulfill it. Sometimes in our lives, the Lord asks us to do things. We do it part way. We do it most of the way. We do it mostly right, but we don't finish it. We don't fulfill it. God wants us to do his will all the way and fulfill it. They didn't do it. So these Amalekites were still there plaguing the nation. And the, in terms of the lineage of Haman, he was a proud, ambitious, wicked man. And we can see how the devil controlled him and brought about these things. And in that time, what they used to do is they would bow down to the person like this. They'd bow down to the king or they'd bow down to the king's emissary who, is, who was under him. And all the people were doing it. They'd all come and they'd see Haman, oh Haman, and they'd bow down to him and they'd pay homage to him, it said. Except Mordecai wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. And the other servants of the king, they would see that they were bowing down because the king had ordered it. Everybody was to bow down. Mordecai wouldn't do it. They said, Mordecai, you're not bowing down to Haman. Why aren't you doing it? Mordecai wouldn't listen to them day after day. Finally, they say to him, tell us why, on what grounds are you not bowing down to Haman? Everybody has supposed to do it. The order from the king is to bow down. He says, I'm Jewish. I'm a Jew. I believe in the true Lord God of heaven, and I cannot bow down to Haman. So they went and they told Haman about it because they wanted to see if, it, if, his, if his story here was going to hold up, if it was going to be good enough for him not to have to bow down to Haman. So they go to Haman, and Haman got so angry. He got so upset because they would not bow down. Mordecai would not bow down to him. Doesn't it remind us the of the story in the book of Daniel? Three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused to bow down to that golden image that Nebuchadnezzar made. He was the king of Babylon, and they had gone into captivity as well at that time. And the king said, when the music plays and the, everything goes, you bow down to this image. These men wouldn't do it. Shadrach wouldn't do it. Meshach wouldn't do it. Abednego wouldn't do it. They wouldn't bow down. They were honoring God. They put him first even to the point of being thrown into a fiery furnace, turned up seven times hotter than normal. That's what they did. They honored God, and what happened? They came through the fiery furnace, and they didn't even smell of smoke. It's an amazing thing how God brought them through. And he brings us through, too. When we take a stand for him, and we name the name of Jesus Christ, and we, we let people know what we believe and that we're not going to bow down to this world. I mean, the world is getting worse and worse. I was talking to Daryl today. I mean, you just you read it in the news, you hear it on the, on the radio or TV, on the internet, and our world is just getting worse and worse. Our nation is going further away from the Lord. It's sad. It's so sad. But we have to stand up, and we have to 
believe on the Lord and we have to stand for his truth, even if it gets us into trouble. Personally, I believe we're going to have persecution in the United States if we continue like this because we're already getting it, but it could get worse and worse to the point where we may have end up with physical persecution like they have in many parts of the world today. Christians, their homes are taken away from them. They lose their jobs. They, they burn churches. They do all kinds of things in many parts of the world, and we have to stand for the Lord even if it means persecution and hardship for us. And this is what he did. And so when I read about Haman, I think about how his pride is so big. And in Proverbs 16 and verse 5, it says, Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. And that's exactly what Haman did. But Haman was so angry and he was so upset. If he could have killed Mordecai with his own hands, he'd have done it. But he didn't want to do it. And it's interesting, he didn't pick a fight with Mordecai and do that. He went and made a plot to kill Mordecai's people. He says, oh, he's a Jew? Let's kill all the Jews. Now, that might, doesn't seem reasonable, right? It doesn't seem rational. If you have a fight with somebody, you fight that person or you're mad at that person. The devil was behind it. And why did he want to do it? He wanted to wipe out the Jewish nation because what was going to happen is the Lord Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the son of David, was going to be descending from the Jewish race and was going to come into this world and die on the cross for our sins. So the devil, ever since that day, he knew it was going to happen. He's doing everything in his power to wipe out the Jews, wipe out everything, wipe out the Messiah. We see it in Scripture. We saw it with Pharaoh killing the little babies uh, in, the, in the book of in, in, uh, Exodus. We see it with, with, uh, in the New Testament, too. When Jesus was born, they killed all the little babies, two and three years old. It's so sad, and we see the devil was behind it. The devil is really our enemy. And that was the plot, was to put to death all these Jews, every one of them, in all 127 provinces under King Ahasuerus, who's also known as Xerxes. And that's what he was planning to do. And so Haman goes to the king and he says, Oh, king, I've got some news for you. There's a people and they're living among us. And they're spread out through all the 127 provinces. And these people don't believe like we do. They don't follow our laws. They don't follow our customs. They don't do things like we do. Does that sound like today, the world, right? You Christians, you're, you're legalistic. You're, you're too conservative. You're too uh, believe Bible thumpers, they'll call us. Jesus freaks, you know, people call us all kinds of different names. And so he was after the Jews. And he says, oh, king, if you sign this edict, to wipe out all these Jews, I will pay into the king's treasury 10,000 talents of silver. So he says, not only this is, we've got a good reason to do it, but I'm going to give this money to the king's treasury. So the king says, you got it. Go ahead. Here's my ring. Put the signet on it. Once a law was made in those days, it was called the laws of the Medes and the Persians. Once it's made, it's irrevocable. It can't be altered. It can't be changed. Wouldn't that be terrible to live in a society where you make a law, you pass a law, a bad law, let's say, that it can't be changed? But that's, what, that's how they lived in those days. They made the law, and it was irrefutable. They could not do anything 
about it once it's passed. And so the news was spread, and they used, did horseback, and they went out to all the provinces. On the 13th day of the 12th month, all the Jews are to be killed. Babies, little baby girls, baby boys, uh, older folk, all the people, men and women, families, everything, wipe them out. It does remind us of, of Iran and what Aminadjad said. He says, we want to annihilate Israel. He makes no bones about it. And there are people like that today, the anti-Semitic people, and they want to put to death all the Jews. They'd be happy to wipe them all out. But guess what? God's not going to allow that. He's protected Israel, and he's going to continue to protect Israel. And he's going to protect us as his people as well when we honor him and put him first in our lives. So they sent out the news, and Mordecai heard about it, and he took it very hard. It says he tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the middle of the city and cried, cried out. And all the other Jews, there was mourning and weeping and wailing and all kinds of sadness. And Esther heard there was something going on, and she didn't know what it was. And she, they said, your, your cousin, Mordecai, or Mordecai, they didn't know they were related. He's out there, and he's, he's got sackcloth on, and they were not supposed to wear sackcloth when you're in the king's service at the king's gate. So he was taking upon himself a tough situation there. So she said, Mordecai, she sent word, take off that sackcloth and ash. He says, no. We're in a bad situation here. Go back and tell Esther what the, what the plot is, that all the Jews are going to be put to death and have her go in and talk to the king about it. And she says, but we can't, we can't do that. I can't do that. I can't go into the king unannounced, uninvited, because if you go into the king unannounced and uninvited, you could be put to death unless he reaches out his golden scepter to you. We mentioned it last week. And so that's what the situation was. And we talked about the tough love last week that Mordecai gave. He says, if you don't do it, God's going to raise up the deliverance from another source, and you and your father's house are going to be wiped out. So she did it. And I love her words in, in Esther chapter 4 and verse 16 when she makes that decision because it shows her commitment to the Lord and her commitment to Mordecai, who was like a father to her. It says, go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise, and I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Is that courage? Is that commitment? Is that dedication? Would we do it? I don't know. That's a tough thing. But I really believe that God gives grace at the time it's needed. And if we were in a situation that, that, like she was in, we would do it too because he would give us the grace to do it because we love the Lord, we honor him above this world and any of the things that the world does. And so that's what she did. She was fully committed to it. She says, let's pray. Let's get on our knees. Let's pray. Let's fast. Let's take it to the Lord. He's the only one that can work this out. It's an impossible situation. And she had that courage facing trouble and facing trial. And we see in chapter 5 that she went into the king. And if you look at chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Esther 5, 1 and 2, we see what happened on that day. She prayed three days, and now she's going in. And it says, Now it happened on the third day 
that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace, across from the king's house, while the king sat on his royal throne in his royal house, facing the entrance of the house. Verse 2, So it was when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court that she found favor in his sight, and the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther went near and touched the top of his scepter. First miracle. First miracle, she didn't die. Right? She says, if I perish, I perish. They said the same thing in the book of Daniel. We are not going to bow down to you, O king, even if you put us in that flaming fire, and our God will deliver us, and even if he doesn't deliver us, we're going to not bow down. And so Esther says the same thing. If I perish, I perish. Did she perish? No. God protected her. First miracle. First miracle. And when God is working in our lives, he does miracles. And sometimes the first miracle is very special because he shows us he's working on our behalf. And he's showing the Jews that he's doing that same thing. Big miracle. And so they have a banquet. And Esther makes a request that they have a banquet and invite Haman to the banquet and have a nice party. And so she does that. And so the king says, what do you want, Esther? You ask me up to half of my kingdom, I'll give it to you. What do you want? He says, she says this, let's have another banquet tomorrow. And Haman's invited to that one also. Now here's a lady with a plan, right? She has a plan because she didn't reveal it yet. She's still waiting because God's timing is, is perfect. And so it's going to take the second banquet before she reveals it. And it's so amazing. Someone said, do God's will at any cost. Do God's will at any cost. And when we do that, God will take care of us, won't he? He always does take care of us. Sometimes God's will doesn't make sense. Sometimes it takes longer than we think it should. And sometimes the, in the end, he does something completely different than we asked, completely different than we'd expected, but it's always the best. He does it the best. And we see that she has a plan, and it reminds me of Joseph. Remember when Joseph had a plan to reveal his brother, to his brothers who he was and to save them and deliver them and get them to repent and all of that? He had a plan, and he carried out that plan right until the end, and then finally he revealed himself to his brothers. Well, that's kind of like what Esther is doing here. Let's have a party today. Let's have a banquet. Invite Haman. Let's have a good time. Oh, let's do it again tomorrow. And Haman is just, he's just lapping it up. He's just enjoying all of this because I'm the only one that Esther and, and King Ahasuerus invited to the party. I'm so special. I'm number one. They invited me, and not only to the first party, I'm invited again tomorrow, too. He was so happy, and he was just smiling and grinning and happy. And then he walks out to go to his house, and there he sees Mordecai. And he gets so angry, and he gets so upset. Because here, everything was going well for him. He had the job going well for him. He had his family going well for him. Everything was going well according to the physical things of life, right? In his life, he would say everything is going well. He's got the house on the hill. And we were down on the, on the vacation, and we were driving on some of the... They've got mansions on these hills up there. I'm wondering, are they happy in that house? Are they, are they enjoying life, you know? You can't really be fully happy. You cannot fully have peace until you experience life with Jesus Christ. Then, it doesn't matter if you live in a mansion or you live in a shack, 
When you have Christ, you'll be happy, right? But Mordecai was happy. He was happy with what God gave to him. And so he's sitting there just very happy and content, but this Haman, he's angry. If, if, if thoughts could kill, he would have killed Mordecai a long time ago. So he goes back to his house and he tells his family and he tell, his wife Zeresh and his family and his friends, he tells them, he says, look what, look what I've got. I've, the king invited me to the, and Esther invited me to the banquet and I'm going tomorrow also. I'm second in charge of the country. I have all these things going, but you know what? It doesn't matter. Every time I go by that king's gate and I see Mordecai sitting there and he doesn't get up, he doesn't bow down, he doesn't stand up, he doesn't give me hom pay homage to me, he doesn't show me respect, what am I going to do? And so it's interesting that his wife and his friends say, you know what you ought to do? You ought to build a gallows. We'll build it right here in the backyard. And it says they built, and he said, yeah, that's a good idea. And she says, go to, the, go to the king, tell them, suggest to him that you kill Mordecai and hang him on these gallows, then happily and merrily go in to the banquet. Then go and have the best party of your life. Yeah, yeah, that makes good sense. So he built this gallows, and it tells us that it was 50 cubits high. And a cubit in the scriptures is 18 inches, meaning that gallows was 75 feet. 75 feet off the ground, a gallows, and it was made for Mordecai. Get that, it was made for one person to kill Mordecai. That was all he was going to use it for, and that's what he wanted to do. And he wanted to kill Mordecai now, and then we'll kill the rest of the Jews later. But let's get rid of Mordecai right now. So he's happy, he's got the plan in place, and he thinks everything is going to go well for that plan and carry it out. But along comes chapter 6. Along comes a change in the circumstances, and God is good at this. He can change the circumstances. He can turn things around in our life where things are going a certain way, looks like we're going to crash, and he turns it around and turns it for our good in our lives. We've all experienced it. If you're not experienced something like that now, you will, or if you have already experienced it at one time in your life, because God knows how to turn around circumstances. So what did he do? He made the king, Ahasuerus, have a case of insomnia. In chapter 6, it says the king could not sleep that night. And it says in verse 1 of chapter 6, That night the king could not sleep, so one was commanded to bring the book of the Chronicles, and they were read before the king. The king had insomnia. Now, I can't prove this. I, it's just my opinion. I'm just saying it like this now. We won't know till we get to heaven. But I would like to believe the way our God is and how great he is, I believe that the king never had insomnia before, and I believe that he never had a case of insomnia again, but on that night, he had insomnia. He couldn't sleep. Now, is that a coincidence? No, God doesn't deal in coincidence. He deals in divine intervention, and that's what happened. He kept the king from being able to fall asleep. If you've ever had insomnia, it's terrible. You try to sleep, you can't do it, you might turn on the TV, you start to pray, different things. It, it can really bother you, insomnia. But the king had insomnia at this point for a reason, and they brought the books, and they opened up the books and started reading to the king, and they came across this passage about Mordecai and how he had let the, the king know about these two wicked men, these eunuchs, they were there, these doorkeepers, and they plotted to kill the king. 
And, they, and they're reading the story that had been written about Mordecai and how loyal he was and how good he was and how he let the king know and the plot was discovered and it was collaborated. And then they killed those people. And then the king says, what was done for Mordecai? And they looked at, nothing, nothing. We got to do something for him. And they said, he said, who's out in the court right now? Who's, out, who's, who's in there? Oh, Haman's here. Good, bring him in. And so then they say, he says, the king says to Haman, what shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Oh, Haman thinks, who could he be talking about? Me, right? Oh, boy. I'm good. Well, if you want to honor somebody, right, this is what you should do. You should get your horse that the, the king has ridden. And you should have a crest on that horse and you should put the, a robe on that person that the king has worn. So the king has worn that robe, right? And, and, you, and then have one of the most noble princes in the whole realm lead that person right through the town, right through the middle of the town and proclaim, this is what the king does for those he delights to honor, right? And so, Haman, you got a great idea. Do it. Do it for Mordecai. Oh, can you imagine how he felt? Imagine how he felt. He came in to ask the king to put him to death on the gallows, and now he has to lead him through the city. This is what the king does for those he delights to honor. God turned it around. God turned it around. And he's done it before, and he'll do it again in our lives. He turned the tables on Haman. He totally turned the tables on Haman. And it's amazing. And so he did it. And he did it unwillingly, but he had to do it. And so then he goes home, and, and he was so angry. And it's amazing to me. Here's Mordecai, right? Mordecai knows that Haman hates him. He knows that he's made this plot to kill all the Jews, including him and Esther and all of them. He knew that. But he had such a grace about him. He had such a godliness about him that he didn't rub it in. He didn't uh, do anything like that. He just very nobly took it, and then he went back to his position at the king's gate, and then Haman goes home. And Haman is so sullen. He's so sad. He's so depressed. He goes home. He probably had to take Valium. He probably had to take other medications. He probably had to open the medicine chest and just take all these pills because he was depressed. He was upset and angry. And it's amazing. And then now when he talks to his wife, Zeresh, and now when he talks to his advisors, they have a different uh, message for him. And it's amazing because it, it says in chapter 6 and verse 13, this is what they tell him. If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish descent, you will not prevail against him, but will surely fall before him. Isn't that amazing? I'll read that again. If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, you haven't fallen yet, but you've begun to fall, is of Jewish descent. And this is prophetic. They're speaking through, the Lord is speaking through these people, even though they're not saved, and he can speak through people. You will not prevail against him, but you will surely fall before him. Before he could even digest that, before he could even think about it, it was time to go to the banquet. Come on, it's time to go to the, to the Esther's banquet and the king's banquet. And they took him off to it. You know, it's amazing. The scripture is so clear and so powerful that no one can rise up against God's people and get away with it. Not Haman, 
Not anybody in Scripture, not anybody outside of Scripture can do it either because in every instance, they're thwarted. Even Hitler, he killed a lot of Jews, but he himself was killed and his plot and his scheme to, to be that way was destroyed. And that happens with every single case. And that's why I love Isaiah 54, 17 that says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue which rises up against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Isn't that amazing? No weapon formed against you can prosper. God is going to protect us. And even though there have been many martyrs, many people put to death, but the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. And that same thing is true of his earthly people. How many times did the nations around Israel attack them, thinking to destroy them, only to find no weapon formed against you shall prosper? And it's true. It's really true. And he protects his people. Well, in chapter 7, we'll briefly conclude with this and continue on next week with chapters 8 to 10. But we have to finish Haman. We have to finish Haman today because we don't want to give him another week to stew and think he's going to do anything. We're going to finish him today. On the second day of the banquet, the king says, Esther, what do you want? I'll give you up to half of your kingdom. She says, oh, king, there's someone in, your, in this in this." empire who has plotted and schemed to kill my people, to wipe us all out, to annihilate every man, woman, and child of my people. And if it, was, if it wasn't that, if it was just to make us slaves, we'd take it. The king's, king would be hurt by it because we'd become slaves. But she said, and he says, he says in this passage in verse Five of chapter 7. He's so angry, the king, once he hears it, he says, Who is he? And where is he? Who would dare do such a thing? And then, all of a sudden, everything, they're, they're at this banquet, she turns and she points at Haman. It's Haman! And can you imagine? All the blood runs out of his face. He turns white, I'm sure. He's, he's petrified because he knows now his end is coming. He knows. And so the king is just angry and he's so angry and he runs out the king goes out of the room into the garden because he's so upset and Haman thinks there's only one thing to do I got to plead for my life I've got to plead with Esther I got to I know she's got a good heart I know she's maybe I can get her to change the king's mind and not put me to death so he's begging for her and she and and he leans across the, the couch where she is begging for his life and then the king comes back and he says, will he assault the queen in my house? And so they came and they took Haman. They covered his face, it says, and they let him out. And one of the king's most noble servants named Harbona said this. He said, this man Haman has built a gallows for Mordecai, who is a good man. He's a good man. He saved the king. He helped the, the empire. And here he built this gallows. And the king says, go hang him on the gallows. So, is this a turnaround or what? The very gallows that he had built, 75 feet off the ground, to kill Mordecai was the one that killed him. Is God just? Is God good? Is God powerful? He said, 
Very powerful God. And you, you can't mess with God. You know, they have that expression, don't mess with Texas. Well, Texas is nothing compared to the Lord. The Lord, you don't mess with him and you don't mess with his people because he will bring it back on your head. And every enemy of God is going to be judged. They may not face it in this life like Haman did, but they're going to face it in eternity. And they're going to face eternal judgment. And it's really, really true. And many times, though, they do face it in this life. And you see the enemies of God that appeared to be so powerful, to appear to have this plan, this scheme, and it ends in destruction, just like the story here of Haman. Destruction. And the scripture is very clear in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. We all know it very well. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Haman built the gallows to kill Mordecai. Haman was killed on those gallows. It's amazing. God is in control. He's in control of our lives. He knows what he's doing. He's working behind the scenes many times in our lives, even while we're sleeping. God never sleeps. He never slumbers. And he has a plan, and he's going to work it out with righteous judgment, righteous judgment on the wicked. But this story is not over yet. Because think about it. The law had been passed, right? That they are going to kill all the Jews on the 13th day of the 12th month. Could that law be changed? Could it be altered? No. So, we're going to come back next week and find out the end of the story on what's going to happen with God's people because it's still hanging over them as a dark cloud. Haman's dead, yes. Mordecai and Esther are still doing, going strong, but that law is still hanging there. And so we're going to see next week about the final conclusive deliverance of God's people. And may the Lord encourage us to know that the best is, as Adel says, the best is yet to come. Because the final deliverance for us on earth is when we go to be with the Lord. And all the suffering and all the pain and all the struggles and all the battles and all the things we go through will be nothing in comparison to that moment we enter into that heavenly shore. When we walk on those golden streets, we see the Lord. We see all the believers there that have ever lived and all our brothers and sisters. And we say, Lord, it was worth it all. It was worth it all. Because the Lord has promised to be with us. And he's with us just like he has in that story, that poem that we love so well, that footprints in the sand. And how the man was walking on the sand. And he's walking in life. And he went through some very troubled and difficult times. And he says, Lord, you know, I, I appreciate you've been with me in my life. But I noticed here in, in, in this one stretch where there was only one footprint in the sand. And you promised to never leave me. And you promised never to forsake me. What happened, Lord? Why is there only one set of footprints here? And it looks like just one. And he said, my child, I would never leave you. I would never forsake you. That time you saw in that one stretch there with just one set of footprints, that was my footprints because I carried you. And he carries us through the tough times, the really tragic, difficult times that we don't believe we could ever get through. His grace gets us through. He got the Jewish people through time after time of things they went through. He gets us through too. And may we be encouraged by the word of God today to know whatever happens to us in life, let's stand for the truth. Let's be loyal to him. Let's be loyal to his people, to his leadership, 
to everything that he's given us. Let's, let's show that we're not going to bow down to this world. We're not going to follow their ways. We're not going to go along with it. We're going to be different. We're going to stand out. And if it means persecution, it means persecution. If I perish, I perish. But let's be willing to stand up because we are believers in Jesus Christ. Shall we just pray? Father, we just want to thank you today for the story of Mordecai and Esther. Lord, we thank you that you worked on behalf of your people. We thank you that Haman was, was killed and destroyed in your righteous judgment, Lord. And we thank you that we can trust you too, no matter what we go through. And a lot of times in our circumstances, things get worse before they get better. And it, it really challenges our faith and trust. But we keep going, Lord, knowing that you're going to answer and you're going to bring about a result for us that is going to be for our good. And so we thank you and praise you and ask your blessing on the remainder of this day. Take us home safely. Help us to be encouraged in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.